welcome back to the show. Tonight, we bring our friend and yours, Bob Sargent, over here to join me and Troy Gwynn. Troy, say hello. Hey, everybody. <laughs> he's, he's off in the corner. I've put him in the yeah. corner because he was, a bad, he was a bad boy earlier. He wet him. And, uh, so, Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, what, what we're doing tonight is this is we're going to be talking about a movie that is many things and I will get into a long list of the things that it is in a moment but first just want to point out that the name of this film is either King of Kong Island or Kong Island or various other strange names that just kind of flit around under the sun Eve the Savage Venus Savage yeah. Venus Yes. Yeah, Eva the Savage Venus is a good one. I, I kind of yeah, like yeah. that one. Yeah, I do like that one. But yeah. it, it missells the movie by about a mile and a half, I think. Well, which version did you guys watch? Because the on-screen title for the one I watched, which is supposedly the European cut, is King the King of Kong Island, which, of course, when we get into this, we know there's no king, no, no. Kong, and no <laughs> island. <laughs> yes, there there is literally nothing in the English language title that is actually within the film. And I'm going to challenge Troy to come up with an alternate. An al- he can think about this during the show, an alternative title because he he did that one with uh, my son is crazy. Remember, <laughs> <laughs> I like that so much. I we, I'm thinking, oh man, we need one of Troy's patented alternative titles for this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean. There's a pretty obvious one. Um, I don't know how marketable it would have been, but I would think the Sacred Monkey would have been the obvious title of the film. Oh yeah. Well, see. Okay. Title. Yes. Just for for everybody who's not seen this, you're 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 welcome. Uh, second, uh, <laughs> that is the the Sacred Monkey is what our uh, our Jungle Girl character is referred to in the film, but. I mean, not that that ever comes to anything. I mean, is there ever, do we get an explanation of where that name comes from? No, no. Other than what they're in, like, it's, they started in Nairobi or something and they go to this forbidden territory where everybody is like, you know, saying, oh, the the sacred monkey's taboo. It's like, don't violate the sacred monkey. You know, and it's like, it sounds like some kind of somebody warning you away from masturbation. It's very But, but she like, was when, used so marginally too. When, <laughs> when, like once you find it, once you finally see her, you're like that ain't no monkey, you know. So oh uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's uh, maybe that maybe the the uh, you know how about the you know queen of the forbidden jungle probably would have been your you know probably would have been your go to obvious alternate title there. Oh, that's not bad. I, I really like that. That's yeah. really good. That's not bad. Because <laughs> King of Kong Island just King of Kong Island just brings in too many expectations that you just you just ain't gonna work. You know, you're just not gonna get you're gonna be you're gonna be disappointed when you go in to see a film. And, and how did who came up with that? Dick Randall? <laughs> I mean it's like probably <laughs> probably but it's yeah. like this this thing's been like a guilty pleasure of mine forever. And it's like um, uh, as you guys know, I'm a sucker for Jungle Girl movies anyway. And it's like, you know, who doesn't like watching like uh, topless Jungle Girls climbing palm trees, you know, from the 60s. And but although they're all hilarious, because while I was on break, I watched Carzan, the Jungle Master. Carzan. I've seen that. Okay. One. Yeah. Yep. And then also Luana. Have you seen that one? Yes. As a matter yeah. of fact, I did a, a lengthy piece. I did a, a deep dive into Luana a long time ago. Because I like that I, one I better than Carzan. Yeah. Well, I came across the novelization of it years really? ago, really? long before I ever, ever 
uh, was able to see the movie, I had the novelization. And what was amazing about it, first of all, it has it's got that amazing poster art for Luana on the, as the cover art. But oh, yeah. it was the but it was a novelization done by the king of novelizations, Alan Dean Foster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I ended up writing to him to find out how he ended up doing the novelization for this and how it came about. And he was very generous and wrote back and explained that it was the first novelization he ever did. When did he do that? Like back in the late 60s? Wow. Yeah, yeah, and he wrote back and told and and told me the story how uh, he was contacted by the by the producers of the film. And so he was he was able to watch the movie, but at the time he watched it, there was no English dub. So he had to make up his own story for the novelization because he had no idea what the hell was going on. And uh, <laughs> and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin anything for Luana, but uh, right. The, the novelization story is a good deal better than the films turns out to be. <laughs> Usually they work out that way, but you know, at least in Luana and in, you know, cars, well, especially Luana, you know, you had a lot of jungle girl stuff going on, but you know, in King of Kong Island, it's like, we had, uh, you know, uh, the sacred monkey or, you know, or what was it? Brad Harris decided he was going to call her Eve or Eva. Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Eve. yeah. And it's just like, you, you don't really see her all that much. No. And here's here's my thought, and I want to see what each of you thinks about this, because it is my belief that if you were to completely remove the Jungle Girl character, it would essentially be exactly the same film with just less tits. Yeah, yeah. probably. Well, yep. Tits and a bottom. <laughs> it's like, because yeah. when she was doing the, the first sequence you see her in the European cut is like she's doing her new jog and it's like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, funny thing, funny thing about that, because I I don't know if I I think I told you guys this before. I think it was in a Spaghetti Cinema, uh, Bill Connolly's old magazine, Spaghetti Cinema, which was so wonderful. And he had all these great interviews. And I think he had one with uh, Brad Harris. And the interviewer was talking about uh, Esmeralda Barros and about the, uh, you know, the the nude scenes. And and Brad Harris is like, wait, what? Oh wow! What what he didn't even know. <laughs> it's like, what, <laughs> it's like, what what nude scene? She wasn't naked. Yeah, because uh-huh. all he ever saw was when they tried to badly tape her her hair, hair. to her yeah. boobs, yeah. and then they, yeah. and they and of course they most places you you know they failed miserably because it would just come right off. But but you know that that new jog was so good they had to use it not just once but twice because they ran it again at the back end the back end of the movie. <laughs> Well, yep. I, would, I, yep. I still feel like there's more that was filmed that was cut, even though this is the European version, because, you know, there's 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 two or three places in the film where there was obvious opportunities for nudity and, and yep. that we don't get. So I'm, yeah. I'm guessing there's probably more nudity filmed uh, out there somewhere. I think yeah. the most obvious yep. being the, the bathtub sequence yep. with uh, Ursula Davis. Ursula, oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. well... Yeah, because there could have been more there, and also the Diana's tent scene before the yeah, uh, the exactly. surgi- the surgical monkey strike gorilla abduction <laughs> <laughs> that you can't see that's so dark that you just sort of I think something's happening here. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, that. maybe they. I, I I know, right? I guess they did that also because you didn't want to, they didn't want you to see the zippers on the backs of the suits because <laughs> like, those those were definitely some of the worst monkey suits ever. Oh For yeah, sure. and t- and talk about talk about actors in in gorilla suits who 
are barely trying. I mean, yeah. these guys, they, they're, yeah. they're just essentially henchmen in gorilla costumes is all it is. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I saw better gorilla costumes in some of those Bruce Lee uh, uh, exploitation movies, you know, like Bruce oh. Lee in New Guinea or something. You know? it's, like, <laughs> it's like Kung, oh. and those are Kung Fu apes, you know, these apes yeah. would just kind of, <laughs> you know, they just kind of roll it. Well, some of them, well, we got to get into this, but it's like some of them even had names because they apparently were b- before becoming the mind controlled monkeys that we were, we got to get into that too. They were, they were uh, the sacred monkeys subjects, her loyal subjects. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Well, un- until yeah. they had surgery on them by the yeah. evil mad scientist. Uh, yes. Know. Which we got to, <laughs> I, I got a lot to say about Mark Lawrence. Okay. Okay, uh, let's, yeah. well, let, okay, what? Let, hey Rod. Yeah. Hey Rod. Before, before we get started on anything guys, I, I, I got to drop a little bit of, of movie trivia on you guys. Go for uh, it. I found fascinating and I may be late to the party. You guys may already know this. Maybe everybody does, but this caught me by surprise. I only found this out a couple of days ago. I was reading an issue of little shop of horrors magazine. Um, yep. Dracula AD 1972, the yep. opening scene with or where you first meet the hip kids, you know, the swingers in that party yep. scene. Man, you remember the band Stoneground? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you know who the original band was going to be in that scene? I do. Uh, it wasn't, you know it, it. wasn't it supposed to be Rod Stewart and, uh, and Faces? The Faces. The oh, faces. Small Faces, yeah. 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 Well, not Small Faces, but the post. Oh, but it was the, the Faces. The, the, the Faces. The faces, yeah, it sure was. Okay, so but, apparently I'm, I, this is old news for everybody. I, 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 probably read, I probably read the same <laughs> article <laughs> you did because I'm a big fan of that magazine too. But well, yeah, this, isn't this, that something? One of the members of Stoneground that actually wrote into Little Shop of Horrors and said what happened was the Faces were scheduled to be in that scene, and then Rod Stewart had suddenly a massive hit with Maggie May. And oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So suddenly the faces career trajectory just, you know, just took off and they suddenly became big, big stuff to to suddenly priced out of the range of, of Hammer, you know, to have that scene. But at that time, Stoneground was actually opening some shows for the faces. And so the faces recommended Stoneground as their replacements. Uh, and uh, but in that in it bizarre to just think that that except for just little circumstances like now we might be watching that film and seeing you know Rod Stewart and Ron Wood and you know and Ronnie Lane and <laughs> that would have been that would have been wild it, it, certainly a different opening sequence yeah. Oh, yeah 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 you know it's funny though because Stone Ground I mean they. You know, sometimes when you read uh, reviews of people who just aren't fans of the movie, I, I am, but you know, they, yeah. they get that band gets a bad rap, but I, I kind of, the more I see the movie, the more, I kind of like them. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, kinda, I do too. I kind of is that for years now, I've been thinking I've got to track down like an mm-hmm. album by the, by mm-hmm. this band and just give the, give it an actual listen. And I always yeah. forget to do it. I still haven't done it. That's see, still, if yeah. See if it's got an alligator man on there. No, alligator <laughs> man. Alligator man. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> I, I still, after all these years of watching this movie multiple times, I'm still not even clear how many people in the band is it 10, 15, 20? I'm, not, I'm still not. <laughs> I sure. know if you if you count all this, the the battery of singers that they have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with their afros and headbands, and it's, it's like, like oh. The, it's, it's like the band that was a commune, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. It harkens back to that Nashy discussion where we were talking about all the beatniks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we're going to talk about a commune. 
Well, you know, I'm not surprised that, that you know, whenever I get on this show with you guys, we always go off on tangents. And, and oh, yes, we do. They're planned and they're not planned. But I, I have a big tangent I'm going to go off on once we well, get started. Well, wait a minute. Before we, before we go All too right. far away from, uh, from Stone Ground, I'm just going to st- publicly state that I do intend to get my hands on a Stone Ground album and, and finally give an album of theirs a full listen because I've been promising myself to do this for probably 20 years, and I, I'm saying it publicly now to make myself You heard it, it, folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But here's, yeah. The, here's the funny thing to me is, uh, and this is, this is one of my favorite pieces of trivia about Stone Ground. <laughs> By 1973, the band was dropped by Warner Brothers because they weren't having really good sales. And the, the, the tensions within the group got really bad. <laughs> and so uh, it kind of fractured uh, apart. But three members of Stone Ground went on went on to form Pablo Cruz. Really? Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> My gosh. I did not know. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's always been one of those little things where I'm just like, I got to hear some stone ground. I got to know what yeah. the hell's going on. Here. Well, and I, I just yeah, always I need forget. To down too. Yeah. Cause you know, yeah. Cause they, they, they probably have some pretty cool stuff. I mean, yeah, I kind of like you, Bob, I've grown, I've grown, grown rather fond of them all the years of watching that movie. Yeah. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I dig it. I mean, it's like, and it's funny how it took forever uh, back in well, geez, even pre-internet days when people used to trade videotapes through the mail, and you know, even tracking down a cut TV copy was just impossible. You yeah. know, and now it's like, well, I, I guess it's on Blu-ray by now, but it's just like you know, it's it's at our fingertips. But yeah, since then, I, I never got. I actually did see it on a big screen once at one of those Fanex conventions, which was great. Oh, wow. But oh, but cool. um, yeah, that was really nice. So and it was projected; it was a print. Um, so that was really cool, but, oh yeah, I think this is one of those movies. I've, I've probably seen it as many times as I've seen King of Kong Island. <laughs> There's your cue. Yeah, here we go. And back. Yes. And, and, and we're back to <laughs> King of Kong Island here on the big FM. Oh, sorry. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's talk about this thing for a minute. First of all, I think before we get into the, uh, the plot, I want to talk about the fact that this feels very much like what I expect from a, uh, a, a film produced by Dick Randall, the amazing uh, British producer who uh, is responsible for such mad things as um, Don't Open Till Christmas and Pieces. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This feels like seven different ideas shoved into a bag and forced in front of a camera. There's nothing here that doesn't feel like it could just easily be extracted and thrown into a ditch to just keep the thing moving. (laughs) And so what you have here is something that purports to be a Jungle Girl film, Mm -hmm. if you pay attention to the Italian title. Yeah. Yeah. It purports to be a giant ape film, if you pay attention to the English title. Yeah. It turns out to be a kind of jungle adventure slash mercenary film, sort of. Slash science fiction. Yeah. Sl- well, slash mad scientist story. Yeah. Mad scientist. Right, which which reminded me of, considering the time it was made, what was it, about 68? Yeah. One thing that came to mind is all of a sudden I thought of John Ashley in the Philippines doing those Mad Doctor Blood Island movies. 
Yeah, because yeah. it's like yeah. it's like a jungle as it, it's like you know, is it Beast of Blood? Is it a jungle action movie? Is it a Mad Doctor horror movie? It's both. <laughs> it's neither. Who knows? And here also they roll it like you said. It's like they roll in a Jungle Girl, and it's like you put it all in a bag and shake it up, and then just dump it out. That's exactly. Yeah, right. and it and it really does feel like there wasn't as much thought put into just how all these pieces really kind of need to fit together uh, other than just other than just the idea of okay there are several exploitable elements that we need to make sure get in here tna Mm -hmm. yep check gun gun gunfights check Mm -hmm. sex check monkeys yep Mm -hmm. check check Uh, a crazed mad scientist with some completely ununderstandable world domination plan. Yeah, yeah, you're totally implausible. Yeah, yeah. Check, okay. check, check. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'll control them with a, a, what a genius he was. I have this giant brain transmitter which looks like a, 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 a it looks like an elementary school science project with a light on it stuck to the wall. And he even does the James Bond villain thing of explaining to one of the one of the female characters. Well, see, there's the switch. That's how it all works. So oh, yeah. don't tell them that, dumbass. <laughs> They always make that mistake. Oh, and then you also had, uh, let's see, you had, of course, all kinds of other uh, Italian, Spanish uh, elements. Like you had, you had slaps, like, you know, bitch slaps. The slap and the text. You had had to have the slaps. Poor Ursula, the, the kept woman got was on the receiving end of the slaps and and you of notice course, how you uh, love to me in those films that you can just like can't you guys count start to count up to the slap when you start watching these scenes you've seen so many of them that you can just in your mind you start thinking here one two you know it's like they're so well, yeah. telegraphed you know you just know that you're you just almost hear the drum roll you know that's building up to the slap you could just see it coming for like you know well, yeah and well, then soon after thing. the slap, the inevitable, you know, the, the, the inevitable slightly off camera rape. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course. Or I wonder in the case of uh, like Euro crime films and you, especially you go like the Maurizio Murley route. I swear the number of times he was slapping perpetrators, you know, they they must they must have had that in his contract. It's like, all right, 
you guys. I'm going to get, it's like, he's talking to Alberto Lenzi and it's like, you know, I got to get my slaps in. I got to get at least, (laughs) it's in the contract. I got to get 15 slaps. And and at least two of them have to be the back and the fourth. I have to get it backhanded and forehanded. I have to get it, I have to really get in there. And said, all right, well, we'll negotiate. So, well, let me bounce his head off the hood of the car a few times. It's like, okay, (laughs) you can do that. (laughs) But it's like, I swear those crazy Italians, Boy, boy, howdy, I tell you. Well, if not for them, how would we be entertained these days? I mean, come on. Well, you got to admit. Yeah, well, I, actually, I, well, I'll ask you, were you guys entertained? I was. I was. It, yeah, okay. I got I to say. And, each, and I think, you know, like, I think probably more so the next time through, because then, you know, as, as, as I really start trying to piece this plot together, it becomes how, how uh how much more zany it is. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, it's like you needed a scorecard because that's one of the more amusing things I've figured out over the, over the years of watching this is how many ridiculous, laughable, insane plot twists can you mix into one movie? And it's like I, I had to take notes because I was losing track. I just watched it again the other night. And it's like, I was losing track. You need a scorecard. Actually, my wife tried to watch it again with me. This was her second attempt. Uh-huh. And let's see, she, the first time she made it almost as far as the cat fight towards the end. And I said, you almost made it to the end. So she tried to watch it with me the other night. And I think she lasted about 20 minutes. And I, I, yeah. I guess it just got, I guess it just gets too stupid for her. I don't, I don't know. And it's like, oh, come on. It's like, I love this. But she just couldn't, she, she gave it the old college try, but she just couldn't do it. And that's, and that's okay. I was about to say, give her credit for trying. I mean, she did try. Well, you know, she made an interesting comment, though, because I was thinking, you you know, with the opening, if you start with the opening sequence, when you have the payroll robbery, right? And the first thing we see, and and I got me thinking, where did they film this? Because I've been looking for a location, and maybe you guys know, but the first thing we see is the Jeep, and she made a comment that this looks like the Rat Patrol. (laughs) Yeah. And we're big fans of the Rat Patrol, and it's like, well, wait a minute. The Rat Patrol, I, I told her, I said, maybe you're onto something here because it's like the Rat Patrol was 66 to 68. And I think this was 68. So it's like, well, maybe yeah. it's like they're driving around and they're in Africa and it's kind of like a desert setting. Right. And that got me thinking, well, if you want to go on a crazy tangent, it's like, well, what if they didn't have Brad Harris and you had Christopher George chomping yeah. on a cigar? <laughs> and he was, and they brought him in as the mercenary because Christopher George has played lots of mercenaries, you know. Yeah. But it's like, well, I don't think Christopher George made it to Italy until like what the eighties when he did stuff with Fulci. Were those were yeah, those his first like Italian some, movies? Yeah, I think the eighties, early yeah, early eighties. Eighties, yeah, yeah. So you know, this right. would have been a little bit too early for him, but but it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, well, maybe Dick Randall again, or who knows? I mean, it looked like they had multiple writers. Walter Brandy Walter was Brandy. one of the was one of the writers, and it's like, well, who knows? Oh, I maybe. know, and that blew my mind because I I wasn't aware uh, until you know doing some research on this that Walter Brandy or Walter Bigari. Uh, was yeah. uh, you know I just knew as an as an actor you know for things like Slaughter the Vampires and things there's, like that. Yep, 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 yep. Well, and there's another link exactly because you know same director. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is well. Actually, Slaughter the Vampires came before this, didn't? Oh yeah, it did. It was it, Way Slaughter before. the Vampires is like sixty two. And yeah. uh, he was also in Playgirls and the Vampire from nineteen sixty. Yeah. The Vampire oh. and the Ballerina. Oh, great so, ones too. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. And of it's course, Bloody Pit of Horror. Yep, exactly. Bloody Pit of Horror in 65. And then in one of the Commissar X films, and Devil's yep. Wedding Night in 1973. So. Oh, boy. And Brad Harris was almost in. There were many, many scenes where I saw Captain Roland poking through. You know, I was waiting for him to break into some of his patented karate, you know, that he does in the Commissar X movies. <laughs> you know, you know where he at Brad Harris has this stance <laughs> that he does, but you know, he, he really didn't get a chance, but you know, it's like, <laughs> it, it's like, it was, it was so predictable because right away it's like, you know, you, you do see Mark Lawrence right away, I guess with the, uh, the wraparound shades. And of course, yeah. right away, they start with the double crosses oh. right, right yeah. from the get go. Oh, and God. it's like, you're not even 10 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the movie is a whole series of every time you turn around, there's another double cross or even towards the end, there's a triple cross. And I had, we got to get into this because I wrote all this down yeah. and it's like, and it just, it, it, it just became hilarious <laughs> to me. And it's like, Oh my God, you know, how much bad, how, how, where is this going? You know, what, who's going to turn next? <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're supposed to be in a, a mad secret lab, you know, and, and yeah, towards the yeah. end, you had the big double cross and then the, the pair Theodore and Ursula show up and they might have they might as well have just jumped from around the corner and went, oh, not yeah. so fast, mad doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, how did you get here? We're 100 miles from civilization. <laughs> the movie the, provided the reason. I know it's just it's, it's so many so many implausible things. So well, many implausible things. Well, it's really bad is when you see the same thing happening years later in a mega budget, you know, in those later uh, sequels of Pirates of the Caribbean sequels. Oh, yeah. Those last couple ones just got to the point where where every five minutes it was somebody showing up and totally out of nowhere to surprise somebody else in a scene that made no logical sense whatsoever, you know, and then just like <laughs> really got very, very, very clumsily plotted in some of those later oh, yeah. sequels. Yeah, it, it, you could trace it all back to this movie. Clumsily <laughs> plotted, nothing, nothing well, makes sense. I, I don't know if we can lay all of the blame at this at the feet well, of this I, film. I don't know. Well, well, I don't know. And, and then you got this Interpol agent too. It's yeah. like, <laughs> oh my god, you, I forgot you, about that. Oh, oh yeah, god. we got to get it to him because it's like you know he, yeah. he say you know because it's like he saves Bert and then Bert saves him and then mm. the next thing you know they're they're suddenly out of nowhere these natives who aren't mm. aligned. They're not in an alliance with anybody they're just kind of on their own so they grab the interpol agent and bert and they tie them up instead of like marching them through the jungle they tie them on those posts yeah. <laughs> you know and oh. they carry them like they're they're animals right yeah. you know where they're hanging from their wrists and their yeah. ankles and then but, they let yeah, them but loose on, but only long enough so that we have that typical jungle jungle scene in a movie yes, yes. So, so because <laughs> yes. then we take them off the poles and and then turn them loose so that we can throw spears at them yeah well yeah. then it turns into cornell wild and the naked prey because it's like it's like what are they doing now? It's like oh, we're supposed to run for our lives because they're gonna like better get moving. They're throwing the spears already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, then, and yeah. apparently, I guess apparently, like uh, the Interpol agent gets killed during that sequence. Yep. It's very like a sort of, I guess. I mean, I'm looking like, well, I kinda think he just sorta. got killed, but really without much fanfare. He's just kind of yeah. dead. And yeah, and all of a sudden, yeah, he's gone, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and, and five minutes later, Bert Dawson just decides that he's it's good time to go skinny dipping or whatever, or go or nude or at least you know go swimming, yeah. <laughs> show off his show off his ripped you know uh, right. Or, Right until the, the the monkey show the sacred monkey shows. I think that was that probably was the scene too where he he decided he was going to give her a name. He said, "Well, I'm going to call you Eve." 
you know, cause she was all infatuated with him, infatuated enough apparently to pick up his cigarette. But it's like, I thought he didn't have a light. Cause didn't he say to her, you got a light, got a match, you know? And, and he's like, oh, you don't, yeah. and he's like, you don't, yeah, you don't yeah, talk, yeah. do you? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to need to stop looking around. Well, he he lit a fire, so something happened. Yeah, I know, right? What, he rubbed two sticks together? I mean, because uh, I know, yeah, there was a fire there. And, of course, she was nice enough to bring yeah. a bana- bana- a big pile of bananas. It's like, oh, well, he's, my, he's like. My, no my suspicion is that he just, he found some flint and rubbed it against his rock hard abs. And <laughs> I was going to ignite the flame. Uh, yeah. Yep. Well, you saw how he was doing the bathing, too. He's wading through, and it's like, yeah, I'll just splash a little water on my arms and it's like oh well you know it's like that's good enough <laughs> that'll, that'll have to be good enough that'll, yeah that's like because we don't have any deodorant out here in the jungle but it's like okay so all the animals are going to find me a mile away like, and, and i and i need to smell like a man or i won't actually find a jungle girl so well and did you notice something my wife my wife made a comment that she did last as long as they decided at different times they decided they're going to do some hunting and diana you know the daughter theodore's daughter decides that she's going to shoot at uh, i guess it was a leopard and we're like oh man don't shoot the leopard of course she misses the leopard and then later they miss the crocodile and it's like these are some of the lamest most myopic <laughs> hunters you know my wife made the comment she's like well they're not killing anything <laughs> it's like no they're not they can't they can't hit the broad side of a barn <laughs> i don't even think they're aiming well let's talk a minute about brad harris because i, yeah, I, I find i'm a little fascinated by him because to to kind of dovetail into a discussion of him and, and the rest of the cast members for a moment yep. i have to admit that uh I, I have been aware of this movie for a lot of years, but I have never watched it because for, I don't know how I got it in my head, but I got it in my head that this was typical for a, a Dick Randall film, a hodgepodge of barely connected pieces that don't really work very well. Yep. In other words, that feeling you get you're when right. you're watching uh, don't, you know, don't Open Till Christmas where it's obvious that that you know, it, it's obvious that there were production problems. He puts in big quotes, mm-hmm. and and the more you find you find the more you find out about Don't Open Till Christmas, the more entertaining the story of how it finally reached the screen is than anything that actually ended up in the movie. Uh huh. I got you. Yep. So I was expecting something horrible. I had my expectations dialed way way low, and so when I was about forty minutes into it and realizing, oh well, this is actually flowing along just fine i mean it's telling a story it's you know granted it's it's got too many ideas all jumbled together but it's not incompetent you know it's just kind of you know bizarre enough to keep your interest to a certain degree and some of these things don't need to be there i guess because we won't really know until the movie ends and then you get to the end of the movie and you're like yeah a couple of those things could have gone but I was expecting a really epically terrible film, and it's not. It's 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 actually okay. It's just that you know it it needed uh, it needed to stay in the oven a little bit longer at the script stage. Yeah, uh, didn't cook long enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say, some of the things I was impressed by was that uh, I, I've you know I've seen Brad Harris in a number of films over the years, but I've never really paid that much attention to him. I knew that he got into films as kind of a stuntman, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew that he did stunts on Spartacus. I knew that that kind of famous thing there. 
But the later movies that he was in, I've seen a number of them. I mean, he was in some spaghetti westerns, and, and of course, he showed up in a lot of sword and sandal stuff. Yep. Uh, and, of course, the Commissar X films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of, uh, of course. But I have to admit, I never really sat down and, and paid much attention to him as somebody to, you know, to really think about, okay, he was in this movie, he was in that movie. So when I started connecting a lot of these things together and realizing, okay, there's the Commissar X films, you know, Kiss, Kiss, Kill, Kill, and so on. Yep. But I started realizing, oh, wait a minute, I think I've seen, I've seen Goliath Against the Giants, where he plays Goliath. Yeah, and I've seen uh, the 1961 Samson. I've seen the Fury of Hercules. I'm like, holy shit! I think I've seen a lot of his movies. Oh, I'll bet you have. Well, you, have you ever seen the Mutations? You know, with Donald Pleasance and Tom Baker. Oh no, actually, Brad, no. Brad Harris is he's the, he's like a professor <laughs> with like no, the glasses and everything. Really? Have, have you have you guys not seen that one yet? No, no I've not. Oh no. my goodness, they have Brit Trash. I mean, it's got it's sleazy. It's got monsters. It's got nudity. It's he, uh, Tom Baker is phenomenal. Well, it's been, uh, oh, it's been on my list to see for forever. Oh, I just have never gotten around to it. You can screen it. I think it's it's streaming it's for free on the, Tubi. The, well, it's also called the Freak Maker. The Freak Maker. So, look for uh, uh, look for the mut. It's the original title, Mutations. I, I actually it came up in my feed. It's, it's streaming for free on Tubi, and it's a beautiful print. Cool, cool. So, Very but that cool. it's worth your while though. But you'll laugh when you see Brad Harris. Well, well, what was what was killing me is he's also he stuck around making these kind of movies. Of course, playing the elder the elder statesman role yep. in uh, in the 1983 Lou Ferrigno Hercules and yeah. the Seven Magnificent Gladiators. He had a role in that too. Oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Seven yeah, Magnificent yeah. Gladiators is is freaking terrible. Yes, uh, there, there's some real bad ones. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got a ton of those. Well, those are all on YouTube, and it's like some are great quality. Picture wise, you know, but it's a lot. A lot of those movies are just really hard to sit through. Yeah, Rod, uh, you were. I had to laugh because you were talking uh, when I was. I wasn't well. I wasn't familiar with Brad Harris, you know, coming into this film, and uh, but you, a few shows back, Rod, uh, and I don't remember if it was one of our episodes with Bob or or something else, but you mentioned recently your amusement over um, Italian or Euro horror films and their. Uh, Euro trash films, and when they try and name an American character, what they think is a <laughs> typical American. Yes. And I, I, I so uh -oh. I laughed because basically, you know, the character is Burt Dawson, played by Brad Harris. I thought so. It's a character who sounds like a fake. You know, it's a character yeah. who sounds like a, a classic. You know, uh, Euro trash uh, attempt at an American name, played by an actor whose name also sounds like a, a, a Brad Harris. <laughs> it's like both tough guy. It's like I have a tough guy yeah. name because he's a tough guy. Well, something about uh, I, one thing I was laughing too is every time I kept thinking about Mystery Science Theater when I was watching this because every he's the kind of character uh, who every time you know when if this was on Mystery Science Theater like every time he turned to pose the cameras where they go like you know rip concrete or something like that or you know. <laughs> or, or bolt hard thrust or yeah, bolt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, they were having they were definitely having some fun with the names but what was the uh the the mad doctor's henchman i think it was just turk turk yeah yeah t-u-r-k yeah. turk it's just turk and it's like you know brad it's like damn you turk <laughs> you know i'm gonna oh, kill i'm gonna well, kill you turk well, let's talk about that, guys. Did any of you pick, did y'all pick up on the very what I think is the obvious missing flashback sequence that we that we never got in this film? Oh my! What are you talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm, elaborate. Talking about I'm talking about the fact that we never know why he hates Turk so much. 
Oh, oh, oh. true. Because well, just he... look at him. He, just look at him. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, or just hate him. Or you just well, hate. Well, or just anyone named Turk, you must hate. You know. But it's like there's that scene where because the first time through, I'm watching and I'm thinking that Turk must have been somehow involved with that double cross at the beginning. And then I realized on second view, he's like, oh no, that's the mad scientist doing that. Right. Turk is the worst we've seen. You're so later, right. in the, so later in the film. You know, Ursula and 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 I think Robert's the husband's name, I believe, you know, or they're talking. Yes. Yeah. Or the brother. Robert was the brother. Yes. Well, who's her husband? Is the, that? Theodore. Oh, Theodore yeah. was Theodore the husband. Who, the, yeah. The, sle- yeah. the sleazy bar owner. Yeah. Yeah. So he and Ursula, are, you know, when they I think it's them that are, I think I think it's them or maybe it's Robert and Diana. But somebody's talking to, you know, when they're first mentioning Turk to, you know, Bert Dawson, he uh, <laughs> they say, you remember Turk, don't you? And he goes, he looks at it. He looks off. You know, he looks off camera and he goes, oh, I remember. And with this kind of look at his face, like, okay, Q oh, flag, here's where okay. we're going to get. And it never happens. It oh, never you're happens. so right. That would have been a great place to have the screen wipe going. Exactly. I remember it like it was yesterday, you know, and it's like, and we're never told why he hates Turk and why, what his vendetta is. I feel like there's something that was either filmed or meant to be filmed and is missing. And it would have made more sense if he was there at the payroll robbery because right, right. you know you had there's Mark because because there's Mark Lawrence and he's and he's basically you know killing everybody. It's like well more money for us. It's like you're crazy. Okay, I'll shoot you in the back too, right? And it's like yeah. and then you don't yeah. see Mark Lawrence again till like the 52 minute mark. Yeah, and when the evaporates, yeah, yeah, he just vanishes and you know he's out there, Albert. You know, which is kind of a funny name for a, a mad doctor, right, Albert? You know, and then Turk is just kind of. <laughs> the henchman you know and it's like turk was in on a couple of the the plot twists because robert the brother you know had was basically in on the uh well the aforementioned the the surgical monkey gorilla abduction when you know diana's changing in the tent and she's in her her green underwear i don't know what was up with the green underwear there right but yeah, and the gorillas come in and carry her off, and the brother said that he saw Turk. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't see Turk there. And it's like, well, we find out later, there's one of your double crossers because he did it yeah. to lure Bert into the jungle. Because remember, Bert didn't want to have a, any part any part of it. You know, he's like, I, I was like, I don't want to go hunting with you guys. And we're like, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna stage this monkey abduction. Yeah. And but then but then later, this is where the movie goes off the rails because Turk's explaining Albert's like you know, looking at him like, well, what happened? And it's like, oh, well, the gorillas ruined the plan. You know, they killed Robert, but <laughs> yeah, not really. before but not before he fessed up the bird about the deception, you know, and Albert's going, hmm, I wonder what went wrong. Oh, well, and and they completely abandoned that. It's, the monkey. <laughs> it's like, those darn monkeys. Uh, it's oh, like, man. I don't know, maybe they're out of radio range or something. It's like, they weren't supposed to kill him, but, but like, yeah. There was something missing. Maybe if there was a longer version, you know, you're missing like a a three minute flashback to maybe Bert and uh, Turk were buddies and they were uh, maybe it was like in the wild bunch. They're in a they're in a brothel and and like Turk (laughs) Turk jumps out a window and Bert gets shot because he's he's got a bullet hole. And he's like, well, well, actually, he was after Albert for that. He said, I'm going to pay him back for this. But it was clean through his shoulder. And it's like, wait a minute. Albert shot him in the back. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know, right in, the, right in the middle of the back. So it's like, I don't know. And it's like, I don't know. Maybe Albert was sitting and the bullet angled up or something. I don't know. Oh, it's if not. this were a more ambitious and better written film, 
what we would learn near the end of it, like point blank, is that all of this is just in the in the head of this dying man. Yeah, yeah, he's he, it's like it's like yep, it's like this is the dream, son. You're still in the cell. <laughs> it's like the Monty Python thing. Yeah, they, keep, say, yeah, they, they keep they keep shoving him out in front of the yeah. firing the firing line, you know, and they yeah. throw him back in the cell, and it's like, oh, you won't hit anything if you look down this bit. You got to look down this bit, it's like, right? We'll give it a whirl, you know. And he's like, and then he comes into that dream. I think it was Eric. Uh, no, yeah, well, Eric Idle was like in drag playing his mother. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, mother, it was all a dream. He's like, no, no son, dear. this is the dream. You're still in the cell. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. They could have done that to Bert. Well, Rod, oh, Rod, am I am I right that by this point is you're not going to make any attempted at synopsis because I know we've bounced around. No, goddamn it, I will. But I do okay, want to bring you up because okay, I was about to I say by this point up, the listeners, by this point the listeners must be like, I don't even understand what's going on here. So yeah. I, I think oh, he wow. should go. I think he should make an attempt at a synopsis because I, I would love to hear. It. <laughs> oh well, uh, I'm going to cop one. I'm, I'm, if I if I tried to write one uh, about three or four every three or four sentences, it would trail off with me going fuck. <laughs> so here's the thing before before we do that and i know that this this just means that i'm going to be putting this off much much longer than i wanted to let's talk a little bit about uh mark lawrence who plays our uh mm-hmm. our mad scientist our our signature bad guy yes yeah mark lawrence had been around playing bad guys since the 30s uh, he was he was playing gangsters and scumbags as far back as the freaking Charlie Chan movies in the in the 30s. Yeah, and and he was even in uh, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite non republic serials. Watch me slice that pie pretty thin. Uh, the Spider's Web from 1938. Oh, I love which, the old serials. I'd like to uh, see that. Spider, if you've never seen the Spider's Web and its sequel, is it gang- gangsters? Oh, dude. You don't know who the spider is? I know the spider, but oh, okay. I'm just wondering, is it a lot of the old serials I watched were either like, you know, a, a, you know, flying men of the stratosphere or like, yeah. with, you know, Nazis and stuff like that, you know, but but this sounds like something that's right up my alley. So tell me more. Well, the spider's web is the first of two Columbia uh, serials made uh, adapting the pulp character, the spider. Mm hmm to uh you know the big screen and uh the thing the thing that's amazing about it is both of the serials are a blast the second one gets a little bit toned down mainly because uh they had to tone down it's very clear that with the first episode of the first uh the first one the spider's web it's very clear that they were going for broke and it was a little out of control with the with violence, especially for 1938. And so uh-huh. you can almost feel them going, you know, somebody somewhere giving notes and saying, you got to really reel this in, man, because this is getting out of hand fast. <laughs> you know, there are always things you could count on in the serials, too, because whenever you would have a fist fight, they'd have to smash every bit of furniture in the room. You know that was oh, just a not, given. It's not just that. Understand, they were doing a they were doing a pretty decent adaptation, at least to a certain degree of the pulp character, the spider. And that means that there's people getting gunned down left and right. I was going to say, is there gunplay? Yeah. Okay. 
lots of so, so not just fisticuffs but a lot of shooting too yeah yeah and so that for especially that first chapter where it's like okay we've already got this thing in the can but we, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to reel this back in or we're gonna be accused of slaughtering half the population of new york city before this thing is over so is so, mark lawrence like a gangster type or a heavy type i'm guessing like a, yeah, yeah. You know. he, he, play, he plays a character named Steve Harmon, and I can't remember exactly how much of a villain he is, but he's a villain, yeah. And so yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the, if you've not seen The Spider's Web, it's, it, it's possible, I think, to find it out there pretty easily. Uh, the second one is almost as much fun, but it's a little a little lighter in tone. Uh-huh. It's as if they it's as, as if they realized, okay, we need to we kind of we need to kinda, need to kind of make sure we don't go quite as dark. Uh, but uh, it's it's well worth your time if you've ever seen it. So I look back at Mark Lawrence's career and see him in Charlie Chan movies in the 30s and The Spider's Web, and I think, man, what a long, long career he was playing. You know, bad guys in in all kinds of things. I'm sure at times he must have played somebody who wasn't a bad guy, but I doubt it. Well, I, I know where I remember the first the first time I remember seeing him was Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he was—he was the guy who said, "I didn't know there was a pool down there," <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And then more recently, and he was kind of typecast in these roles because I—I saw—I've um, watched this twice now. I've become a fan of the movie Super Fuzz. Oh yeah, <laughs> which yeah. you know has Ernest Borgnine, you know, and Terrence Hill, and you know, it's yeah. the one where Terrence Hill gets caught in a nuclear blast, like in Florida, and he—and every time he sees anything that's red, his superpowers kick in. So, and Mark Lawrence plays, of course, like a gangster type, you know, bad guy type, mm. which, you know, it's actually a very entertaining movie. And now that I've seen it twice, it's like, I can see why, uh, you know, there, there's just an appeal to it, <laughs> you, know, you know, but it's like, yeah, it seemed like he, he really got typecast. And of course, those movies would have been what Super Fuzz was probably what, uh, Late seventies, early eighties. Late seventies, Dim- yeah. Diamonds are forever was what sixty yeah. nine, which would have been well, about a year after this thing, and yeah. and then you roll back before that, and it's like oh, dude, he was in this gun. For, he was in this gun for hire. Yeah, he was in the Oxbow incident. Now you know he, what something he was that in somebody, hold. He was in hold that ghost. Oh yeah, huge the monster well, huge, and the girl. Huge filmography. Now what I didn't know about Mark Lawrence is somebody else pointed this out to me that he was actually called before the the House Un American Activities Committee, like in 1947. I, I looked this up, and they had nine days of hearings, and he got blacklisted as, as a communist. Because I thought, how did he end up in Italy? Well, that's what happened. He departed. So he's like, okay, I'm screwed. So he departed for Europe to continue making movies. And it's like, okay, well, you know, so I guess he was over there for, you know, 20 years until things cooled off. You know, if he flew. I think think so, because, I mean, up till then, he, I mean, he was in. Uh, he was in Key Largo in 1948. Yeah, he was in, I mean, just film after film after film, yep. and then suddenly you realize, oh, okay, so now he's in movies with Italian titles, starting yes. in 1952. Yeah, like, that sounds about right. Okay, hold on it, a second here. Right, right. It's like there was a disconnect. It's like, wait a minute, what happened here? And then he came back. Yeah, he came back and he started doing just shitloads of television. Yeah, he did wagon train and Peter Gunn yeah. and just yeah. all kinds of things. He was a busy. He was a very busy actor. He uh, very busy. Yeah, he he lived to the ripe old age of ninety five, and uh, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, and wow. He, uh, he was also in. He was also in one of my very favorite train wrecks of a movie, and in fact, it's Night Train to Terror. 
Um, oh, yes. uh, okay. It's not just a train wreck of a movie. It's three train wrecks of a movie because it's actually, <laughs> it's actually three films edited together by someone who had no idea how to tell a coherent story. Um, this the, is first time, the first time I watched it, I knew nothing about the film. I didn't realize it was edited, but it, I mean, literally, I was only about a third of the way through the film, and I was thinking to myself, this feels like multiple movies that are just you know, like mashed together and, you know, and, and then I read the history and realized that that's exactly what it was. The guy made like three different films and then just edited them all into one and had no idea how to tell a, a coherent story. And it's just a, it's a, it's a total mess, but I love it. And um, how many movies do we see that? You know, it sounds like these are the movies we love. It's like, just yeah. throw a bunch of different movies in a blender. You know, it's <laughs> like, it was sort of like you're watching, um, Oh, like the the creeping flesh is a good example, you know, where you had yeah, all yeah. these different ideas mashed together, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, scream and scream again, another one. It's like you had about four or five different plots yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's just sort of like, uh, okay, what's going yeah. on here? <laughs> it's just like, you know, no coherent story whatsoever. I mean, and sometimes they make an attempt to tie it all together at the end, like in the creeping flesh, and then like in scream and scream again. It's like, you know, and they. Word of maybe a smart they get yeah. close but it's like yeah they're not really that successful usually it's an an ambiguous ending now not dario argento ambiguous like at the end of cat and nine tales where you're kind of like what you know what happened <laughs> you know I, I mean after you know we we see what happens to the killer for sure but it's sort of like okay duh, did did she live or did she not live we don't know <laughs> you know what happened but but yeah, it's like those are the kinds of movies, though, that I kind of get a big kick out of. It's, it's like, okay, they're trying. I know movies are hard to make. Oh, yeah. Movies oh, yeah. are really, really hard to make. And, you know, and the guy who is the director, Roberto Mori, he, he was, he started as an actor because he was Italian born. I, I looked this guy up and he started acting in low budget movies. And yeah. he directed a ton of spaghetti westerns, and of course the the one you mentioned, Rod Slaughter of the Vampires, oh, right? Yeah. Which which I love that one, and and, and that's got Graziella Granada, which is like she's just a killer vampire. <laughs> I mean, she was great in that thing. But um, but yeah, he was a you know actor. He was I think he I guess he had a hand in the writing of the script. He was the director, so I don't know. Maybe he was trying to do too much. I, you know, maybe, maybe not quite like Juan Logar, because at least he didn't try to do acting himself in this movie. <laughs> yes, not like Juan Logar. Not, not like our friend Juan Logar, who who Paul Nashie loved dearly. We know that. <laughs> you, you know, it's but, like. But <laughs> here's here's my here's my thing. Um, uh, the director of this film signed his name to uh, the director's credit of. About twenty-five different movies, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm I have to admit I've seen a few of them. There are a couple of others that have been on my list to see. I've wanted to see Ivanhoe the Norman Swordsman for years and years. Uh-huh. I've wanted to see Zorakan the Barbarian for years, and I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, me either. Um, uh, but now, having looked at his his long list of credits, I have to admit that what vaults to the head of the list of films I've got to see is his last one. The Porno Killers. Oh yeah, <laughs> gotta see I, it. I, you know, I regret. I will admit to you guys, I had a copy of that on VHS tape, and I don't have it anymore. And I did not watch it, and and no, now wow. I'm regret. I wish I did because it's now, like you now, guys, it, of course it'll come out on Blu-ray, but yeah. you know, 
Because everything comes out on Blu-ray. Right. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I've, I, I've not seen the one he did with Camille Keaton, The Anatomy of a Nightmare, Madeline, Anatomy of a Nightmare. Have you guys seen that mm-hmm. one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw it a long time. I don't remember a thing about it, but I did okay. see it a long time ago. Um, but yeah, there's that. And he did with the spaghetti westerns, a lot of those, uh, those Holy Ghost movies, which, yeah, you know, yeah. if you follow spaghetti westerns, you, you know, it's like, I've been watching so many of those lately. And it's just hitting me in the face. It's like, yep, here's another one that starts with a massacre. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's always, you know, somebody's getting betrayed and somebody's getting massacred. And it's like, yep, yep. It's, it's just, it seems like there's maybe about four or five ways to open a spaghetti Western. And that that's yeah. the tried and true. The, the Let's break out the old massacre. <laughs> hey, well, so what's funny is that now that Troy's brought up this whole idea of the missing flashback within yes, King Kong with, Island, with it Turk now occurs Mer- to me that the movie would have been more effectively played if we meet Brad Harris's character uh, you know the way the way he, we're introduced to him in the uh, in the bar when he's seeking Ooh. these people out, and then we get him yeah. being shot as a flashback instead of it opening the film. Yeah, because then we're introduced to this mysterious man who's well thought of and has these friends, and they're happy to see him, and yada yada. We're getting to kind of understand who he is a little bit, and then uh, he point you know he like talks a little bit about this wound on his shoulder, and then we see the flashback from that point, you know, kind of emphasizing things. I think that could have made the film a little bit more, a little bit more interesting as a narrative, but I know that for a lot of, uh, for a lot of exploitation Ooh. filmmakers, the idea is to, no, 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 we got to have, we got to have murders right at the start of the film. We got to have the betrayal right at the top of the movie. You got to get that shit in there. It's like, yeah, we have a betrayal, but it's like, it doesn't mean anything to us yet. So, you know, you, you know it's interesting that you guys, I, I didn't really think about delving into the, uh, the missing scene, and Troy's right to point it out because it seemed like it needed to be fleshed out. But I mentioned John Ashley earlier, and all of a sudden, I'm hit. I'm, it's like hitting me that in the movie that Ashley made in the Philippines, The Twilight People. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know that was. Let's see if I'm remembering the right one. There was another one of those unfleshed out relationships because you had the 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 mercenary hunter guy who was working for the mad doctor. I think his name was Steinman or something like that. And he and John Ashley also had some kind of a relationship that was unexplained. And this guy was going to, you know, it's like this milk drinking killer and he was going <laughs> to hunt him on the island. And, and it's like, same thing. And John Ashley said to him, you know, sort of like Bert said, to Turk, I'm going to kill you, Turk. John Ashley just looked at him and said, I'm going to kill you. You know that, don't you? You know? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like same kind of thing. Jungle action. It's like, here's these two guys that obviously don't like each other, but they never really explained, you know, what was the dynamic there? It's like yeah. there must have been some kind of betrayal or, you know, I don't know. Who, who knows? Maybe they, maybe maybe one of them's a jilted lover. I mean, who knows? Like, who, who knows? Could be. Could be. But it's like, yeah, poor Bert. But boy, yeah, he really did hurt. He really did hate Turk. And Turk was always getting away. Yeah, yeah. You know, he'd yeah. send in he'd send in his thugs. You know, and at, at one point there was one point in the movie that Brad was Brad Harris. Uh, oh, they got back to where the uh, 
the monkey abduction happened, you know, where they grabbed Diana yeah. and he picked, I remember he picked up the machete <laughs> and the yeah. machete was being used on the Interpol guy. And it's like, aha, there's a clue. It's like, he's like, you can hear there's him. There's pieces wheel. of flesh here from an Yeah. Or he's guy. going, aha, the, the machete. So Turk was here. That rat bastard. I'm going to kill him. You know, it's like every time, every time you see, you know, Every time you see Bert, it's just rolling through his head. Gotta kill, gotta kill Turk. Oh, gotta oh, kill my Turk. Favorite, my favorite thing, guys, that I laughed the loudest in the film is the scene where, you know, this is after Diana's been kidnapped and they're going to Theodore and Ursula, you know, they're going to, to Bert Dawson, you know, begging him to go and rescue her and he won't do it. You know, he's like, oh, he's, yeah. You know, I mean, this is the guy, you know, this is a girl he obviously has known since her childhood or something, grown up, because he mentions about how she's grown up and he knows her yeah. and her brother and their own friends. And yeah, he's let's like, talk about the creepy aspect of that in a minute. And they're like, and they're yeah. like, yeah, and they're, and, and they're saying like, you know, please go rescue, you know, our daughter or go rescue Dinah. And he's, he's like, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And then they go, but Turk's there. And he's like, I'm in. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes, right. The, I know that was kind of creepy, wasn't it? Cause as soon as he found out Turk was there, well, and it's like all of these women are infatuated with him. Everybody from the oh, sacred yeah. monkey yeah. to Diana, who was Ursula, basically a, no. a child. And, and Ursula was his old flame, right. you know, yeah. and it's like, well, boy, oh boy. And then she's settling for Theodore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> poor, poor, and poor Theodore, you know, cause he's, you know, he he reminded me of uh, it's almost like wow Fernando Sancho would have had a great time playing oh, that Theodore true. role you know because yeah. he really because I know we've talked about you know how great he is at, at bringing it and mm-hmm. it's like you know but the the dynamics there it you know it got really messy later <laughs> well I had Theodore I had Theodore listed in my notes as Ginger Cuckold oh that's that's rough but that's rough but accurate okay that's cold yep (laughs) well i just i only had a note about ursula being the kept woman to the sleazy club owner (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know who who was financing albert you know for albert because he's like albert's got this plan it's like what plan <laughs> to take every single human being on the planet and perform a and insert a control device in their neck, apparently. Oh, and wait a minute, let's talk about that for a minute. Going back to Albert's mad plot, because also I know you guys are fans of El Santo, and all of a sudden I couldn't help but think of El Santo because Mark Lawrence explained to why he wanted Bert so bad because he was such a specimen. Yeah, oh yeah. And and it's like all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, how many Mexican mad doctors have said they wanted Santos blood or or they wanted to transplant his brain or because he's such (laughs) such a specimen? It's like, oh my gosh, we're getting into he might as well just put on a silver mask and he could be Santo now. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like it was just it it just got so damn wacky, you know? And it's like it, you know, it it reminded me of what was the line in uh, zombie holocaust where you had the Donald O'Brien had the nutty line about I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you uh, stop the work of a lifetime just because I'm insane, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Technicality. I know it's a, sem- yeah. semantic semantics. It's like come on. But oh it's like, God, and then and then he's in this mad lab. Which did he ever explain oh why he was in such a remote location other than he did he did say that he was looking for or hunting the sacred monkey this is albert the mad doctor saying that because because at the end that's why i I had to keep a scorecard because i was losing track because it was after ursula and the sacred monkey had their cat fight albert shoots ursula (laughs) to save the sacred monkey 
right? And there's a lot of shooting going on in that cave in very close quarters, right? And that was right after Ursula double-crossed um, mm-hmm. double Theodore, you, you know? Because it's like, you, keep, you, you just keep going backwards. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, and while, while all of this is going on, I think Albert had a great line because you see the apes are starting to bend the bars, you know, because here's, here's the women. And he said, the gorillas are getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know what would have been awesome is he just, he should have just looked right at the camera, like out at the audience when he was saying, when he said that line, you know, like, when you know, the theater, you know, just point. <laughs> the gorillas are getting excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, yes, they were. I think we know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, you had the, the whole thing with, okay, you know, they didn't even bother explaining the thing between Bert and Turk. And then the next thing, you know, yes, like you said, he's like, he, there's Bert. He's out in the jungle. He's looking for Turk, you know, and then, you know, Robert apparently double crossed him, you know, and said, well, I kind of lied, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, I'm you know, dying, like I'm, I'm dying <laughs> but I'll tell you the truth. It's like, yeah, Turk wasn't there. I just said that to get you out here. And it's like, oh, you know, and he expires. And it's like, well, you know, and, and then of course, and then that was the whole flimsy reason for Theodore to show up with Ursula in the cave. He's like, you murdered my son. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, OK, you know, so I traveled 100 miles from Nairobi to God knows what this is, the the forbidden monkey taboo territory, you know, where all the natives are going, oh, Bawana, you know, and, 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 fa- and found the, the magical, the magical electrical cave where we can have all of this equipment all powered up and ready to roll so right at least right. three or four generators out there chugging away so. oh well, you guys love the way they supplement the fact that they have very little actual stage stage decoration by the sound effects you know i'm sitting there thinking like you think mad scientists you know for all their genius can they never come up with a way of making a lab that doesn't sound like a theremin you know it's like yes <laughs> but, i mean would you would you want a mad scientist lab that didn't sound like a theremin i mean i know I think, it's, I think it's a psychological like device you know when he brings people in there to unnerve them like you know all the weird you know like you know to make it make his make his lab sound that much more menacing you know to that it's just making these insane noises the whole time right the all the beeps time. the beeps and boobs well al adamson had labs like that <laughs> you know yeah. it was yeah. like you'd have yeah. you'd have yeah. all the all the crazy noises and stuff like that well and then did you notice at the end they left it wide open for a sequel because we yes you know because i think yeah. well wait a minute it's like you know you had you know okay so you get all the shooting, and of course, I, I guess it ends with you know they're like shoot the brain, Bert, shoot the brain. So he shoots the electronic <laughs> brain, and the gorillas go. They revert back to Eve's control because they're her subjects, and mm-hmm. so they they kill Albert. Well, presumably, we see them grab Albert, and we yeah. see them chasing Albert, and then you see the explosion, and you hear Albert yelling, and I thought. Here we go again, right back to John Ashley in Blood Island and Dr. Lorca. There's going to be a sequel because, you know, Dr. Lorca and Blood Island should have died in the fire and then he reappears. So it's yeah, like, yeah. well, you know, but it was not to it was not to be Albert. Uh, alas, alas. Now, Albert's not as yeah. glamorous a name as Dr. Lorca, but, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's too bad. I mean, what would you call a sequel to King of Kong Island? I don't know. Um. What would I call it? He'd be back with. He, I would call it unnecessary. That's what I would call it. It's like Dr. Albert is back with more monkeys and more fun. <laughs> well, well, yes. the, well, the sacred monkey, you know, survived too. So, you know, she could be in the, they, you know, she, she, she could have been in a sequel as well. So, 
Boy, she she can take a she can take a new jog through the savannah anytime she wants. Though it's like grief. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Harris would have remembered that if he was the, there the day they shot that. It's like oh good yeah, no Lord kidding. Almighty. It's like I no wonder the gorillas were getting excited. <laughs> I thought the best writing, the best, the best. There's a there's one part in the film where the writing actually becomes rather eloquent. Is I love that description of her that the the native you know the guide gives oh, yeah, yeah. Thing, you know after saying you know the classic line taboo buana taboo you know he's a <laughs> he then actually goes into this description of eva that's like really very poetic you know and it's like he says she rises with the sun her mother and she has always existed and i'm like this is actually some pretty deep stuff here this is pretty well written. you know what you're right i remember that too and of course he was saying that over the new jog <laughs> so yeah yeah. Like, yeah and the way it was photographed too i wonder because you know the, the, the director of cinematography was mario mancini who did Frankenstein 80. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. So if you've seen Frankenstein 80, which yeah. re- recently came out on Blu-ray, and that's that's another uh, crazy mashup of a movie, you know, it's another god-awful guilty pleasure that I just can't live without. But it's <laughs> like, yeah, Mancini was in on this too, but it's like, you know, if he was a decent cinematographer, and actually some of the photography really wasn't bad, um, yeah. there sure was a lot of stock photography crammed in there, yeah. which you know goes back to all right. Obviously, they didn't go to Africa to shoot this, and you know, and I was looking at some of the long shots, and it's like well, those don't look like trees that are out on the savanna, you know, or this doesn't look like the African jungle. But I don't know. It's like where would they have shot this if they were well, in Spain or Italy? I love the jungle, you know, Italy, yeah. yeah, I, lo- I love the, you know, just the tropes you can checklist off here, you know, that make it a jungle film. And one of them is that, you know, when you go in the jungle, all the jungle wildlife just apparently comes out to greet you and you, you know, when you go on safari. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They had to have the cute lion cub playing with the uh, whatever oh, it was, the, with a, a leopard cub. And they're like, oh, they're so cute. And it's like, well, don't shoot them, lady, because Diana's so, got her bloodlust up. She's like, well, I'm going to shoot the leopard. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We just saw the baby. You're going to shoot the mother. But of course, no problem there. You got nothing to worry about with with a gun's in Diana's hand. She can't hit. She can't hit anything. It's like if it's like if the storm. It's like the stormtroopers from Star Wars are on safari. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can't hit the right. Can't hit the damn. Going to be thing. a lot of dead trees. <laughs> well, and then you know, it's like here's her brother. Her brother Robert, who I, I guess he's wearing shorts. She's decked yeah. out in like a pith helmet. You know, so like, you know, spiders dropping from above won't drop down your neck or something like that. You know, and Robert's probably getting eaten alive (laughs) by all the mosquitoes and bugs. But it's it's sort of like, yeah, like you said, the the, the safari tropes, you know, and it's like, okay, here are the elephants, you know, waving their trunks at you. And it's like, oh, and sure enough, they're out on the water. And it's like, you you can always do a countdown to, all right, when when are you going to see the crocodiles entering the water? Oh, there they are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like here comes the crocodiles, and of course we know they they, they couldn't they couldn't hit them either. You know, at least though, one thing that they didn't do too much of there was some of it is the the scenes of the the endless scenes of people with their native bearers carrying all like big loads of stuff trudging through the jungle, you know, from point A to point B, and then let's make camp, and then point. B to point C and let's make camp again. And it's like that, that, that tedium, they kept to a fair minimum. So I, I gotta, I gotta give them credit for that. It's like, well, yeah, there's some of it, but 
even that has kept kept me laughing because of the 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 guy who at the point where at this point we don't realize an Interpol agent, but the guy who's like stalking yes. him the whole time and he's always like just right around the corner and these are like expert supposed to be expert like jungle trackers and he's basically just like on the other side of the bushes from them and they never <laughs> like never notice him there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and kind of and, and he was kind of a stumble bum anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, and then when he finally identifies him, says, "Oh yeah, I'm with Interpol." You know, and it's like Bert's like, "Oh, Interpol." Oh, it's like, okay, and it's like, "Well, I'm after Albert too." And it's like, yeah, you know, when you were in the hospital bed, you were delirious, and you were talking about the, you know, after the payroll robbery. So we decided we just let you go. That was his <laughs> whole plan. We decided we would just let you go, and you would lead us to Albert. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, it, you, and know. you may notice there's this little scar behind your ear. That's where we implanted a tracker. We're not. Eating Evil. <laughs> yeah, it's like we borrowed we borrowed some of Albert's technology and we just put a little tracker in there. So you know, uh, although Albert was like, he looked like he was shoving uh, batteries into those slots behind the monkey ears. Yeah, and, and and of course they had they had the zoom in go, you know, making that noise and and the monkeys just kind of going, brain hurts. <laughs> you know the sacred monkey is like oh luma my friend luma <laughs> you know the more we discuss this film the more i cannot understand how i enjoyed it as much as i did it's bizarre. well did you notice when when you started speaking of simian surgery right it's like did you notice also mark lawrence named his bodyguard a malik was oh, i know it, you know well, that's but, one of my favorite moments of complete madness in the entire thing it's in the it's in the last third of the film we're in that last half hour where we all know it's all revving revving toward the climax yep and yeah. he like he like drags uh he, he drags the uh the the poor female the poor female lead ursula drags her out of the uh uh the the cage they oh Diana right oh, oh I'm sorry Diana Diana dra- right dra- drags her out of there to I'm sorry she's played by Ursula Davis and so I'm getting them mixed up there's a oh, character named Ursula and then, yeah <laughs> I and noticed that too <laughs> yep uh, so so he drags her out of the cage and, and starts explaining to her you know this is how you would want to destroy all this if you ac- actually got the opportunity let me go ahead and bond villain this up a little bit and then he also he he's tur- he's turning he t- he he turns uh, he's like leading her over to where he wants her to stand and look at his his genius mechanical works, and right. says, and he's going. He goes Malik, Malik, and then turns yeah. her and go. I call him Malik, and I'm like, no shit, genius. <laughs> really? Yes, yes, he's my body, and he even says he's my bodyguard. It's like, all right, you know, if you try to explain this to anybody, and it's like, okay, yeah. so we're in at this cave in Africa, and you got the yeah. radio mind controlled apes, and one of them's named Malik, and it's the Mad Doctor his bodyguard and you got this cave with a mad lab and cages and captives and you got all these women in cages you know and the gorillas are getting excited you know and it's just like okay come on and and, and then he announces that i guess that it was shortly thereafter he said he wanted bert for his experiment because he's like you're going to be my first human slave and i guess that's his master plan you know it's, it's like it would take an awful long time to enslave the entire population of the world i guess he's just going to start with all the mercenaries in africa right so, he, so, so he's so he's just going to grab he's just going to grab Bert. And it's like perfect but yeah of course if he was smart since he revealed the his secret you know about the electronic eye he should have gagged Diana, because then she wouldn't have been able to yell, shoot the eye, Bert. Yeah. You know, and, I, and, and I think he got it in two shots because he's got Malik's got a chokehold on him is getting ready to break his neck, <laughs> you know, and he's like, 
you know, he manages and he manages to shoot. He, he hip shoots it well, too, I think. It's not exactly a small, yeah, exactly. Hip shot, and it's not exactly a small target, you know. I just love the. I love <laughs> and it's blinking red. Blinking oh, yeah. red, giant <laughs> brain on the wall. What it reminded me of was, uh, I think it's from the. Uh, uh, the uh, w- was it from the Mexican Santa Claus film? Was that the one that had the what they called an MST? Oh I see the pleasure mouth, you know, it was like, <laughs> yes, oh my yes. gosh, the, yes, the that mouth on the wall. Oh it, you know, it reminded me of that, you know, it was his giant brain, but yeah, I just love that. That uh, he just, you know, it's the instead of just putting the red switch that you pull that destroys everything, instead, he just put this giant brain that you can't, you, you know, even if you can't miss, you know, <laughs> if you're trying to shoot it out, that's going to just re- totally wreck his whole plan there. <laughs> well, and they got some good use out of that giant brain transmitter with the light, because right around then, that was when you had Theodore and Ursula just show up out of nowhere, Yeah, right? Yep. And it's like, okay, and it's like, okay, so Theodore's got a gun on Albert, and he's like, well, you know, you murdered my son, so, so I'm going to kill you, but then, of course, Ursula double, double crosses uh, or double crosses him and shoots him, right? Yeah, it's like, well, I'm all of a sudden now. I'm with, I'm with Albert. <laughs> it's like, wait, yeah, what? Because he's, so <laughs> he's so much more hunky than you are, Theodore. Yes, <laughs> right, and, and, and it's because I can't stand he knew that Charlie bar. Chan. Yeah, well, right, right. <laughs> and it's and he lives in Southern California, so it's like you know. And and then the next thing you know, poor poor Ursula, she gets she's getting into the the cat fight with the sacred monkey, and then Albert just shoots her. <laughs> <laughs> and his reason for that is to save the sacred monkey because he's, his, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, but what was he planning on doing with her? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, so, yeah, it's just. Uh, uh, I, uh. Well, actually, <laughs> I love that sound you just made, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bob. That sounds it sounds as if it, the, the film has finally broken you. You can't even speak. <laughs> I, I, I was at a loss for words. I usually that never happens to me. That's why I love this movie so much. I just can't explain hey, it. Listen, I'll go. I'll go through it with, for you guys. And I probably missed one here, but I literally wrote. I wrote in my notes here. You know, betrayals upon betrayals, and then I wrote this list here. Albert. Okay, starting from the very first. Albert betrays Bert. Robert yeah. betrays Bert. Tank betrays Robert. Theodore betrays Albert. Ursula betrays Theodore. Albert betrays Ursula. It's like you couldn't be blamed for having trust issues coming away from watching this film, I think, if you, you know. <laughs> see, I'm so glad you did that because, see, that's what I'm getting at. It's like I found my note was just hilarious. I use the word hilarious plot twists, you know. But, but it's like the first thing I saw it is like the funniest one was when I just can't get over when Theodore and Ursula show up in the cave and they might have just jumped out of the shadows and said, aha, not so fast. So here I am. <laughs> We've got you dead to rights, partner. It's like, wait, we're in the dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some of that serial uh, sensitivity, you know, a Republic serial sensibility going on in there, you know? You know, that's just it. Maybe a little bit. And that's that's the thing is I'm a huge fan of of, of serials and pulp novels and, and adventure stories, you know, regardless of their, their believability, there's a, there's a certain magic that can be cast if the story is being told in an entertaining enough way. And this right. film approaches that. It's got it's got too many it's got too many balls in the air. Eventually a couple of them just they they they, they hit the ground and they don't they don't yeah. really they don't really work. But right. there are so many damn things in the air. I think that the best and I th- this is something I wrote down on my second pass through later after after rewatching this. The idea is that essentially this is to a large degree the same kind of film 
that would have been made 20 years before. But 20 years before, it would have been a Jungle Jim film. Yeah. You know, starring Johnny Weissmuller. Yeah. And it wouldn't have, you know, it, it would, there would have been, of course, the standard changes that you would expect in those 20 years. There would have yep. been, you know, no sex. There would have been no nudity. And the, the, the number of double crosses would have probably been fewer simply because mm. the running time was only going to be allowed to be about 70 minutes long. Right. Yeah. But right. It's the same film. You could have told this same story, and yep. it probably and here's here's a little here's a little thing that's nagging at the back of my mind. I haven't seen all the Jungle Jim films. I wonder if they just copied one of the Jungle Jim scripts entirely and added possible. A few things. Yeah, very possible. Very possible. Now, what would have happened if Alan Dean Foster had written a novelization for this thing? <laughs> it would be better than this. It would be better. It would be better. It would be Probably would have been well, you know, and and thinking, all right, so Jungle Jim movies, you know, without the sex and without the nudity, I guess they could have done this. Although, what if it was pre-code? Well, now that would be a different thing. I it would be very different. The, the 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 jungle the jungle films that were made pre-code that I've seen, and I've seen a few of them. Uh, they tend to uh, they tend to be a little staid. Um, they're they're not that they aren't uh, entertaining in a certain way, but they're not entertaining in the same way that is kind of a pulpy kind of adventure thing. Yep. And so all of those things that you that would titillate you because it's a pre-code film and the things they could get away with before the before the before the code came in, they wouldn't have been present necessarily, except yep. just as uh, you know, kind of an aside. They might be in the story, but they wouldn't be the main focus. They wouldn't be kind of the driving force. Right. And so what 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 you would end up with is something that uh, might have a few elements that would that would raise eyebrows for people nowadays, but it wouldn't be the kind of thing that would really stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, the, of, of jungle girl films and, and, and things of that nature. I, I can even find a way to enjoy the, the kind of lame Sheena, uh, Sheena, Sheena, uh, TV series from the fifties. Uh-huh. But although it's, to be honest, I've only seen a couple of episodes, and it's, it's, it's a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a pretty dull, it's a pretty dull affair. Yeah. But, the, once, once you get into the '60s, and especially with uh, the, the 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 limited amount of freedom that's that's allowed to these to these producers to start, you know, tearing the tops off these women and having yep. them bounce around the jungle, uh-huh. then suddenly you can start telling certain stories that not only uh, probably feel a little bit more adventuresome. Uh, you know, visually, as far as the nudity is concerned, but also yep. you can start to be a little bit more violent. You can start to yes. be a little bit more interesting in the stories that you're telling. You can get yes. a, you can get to the point where we are talking about a movie. Who, for me, the most interesting part of it, there's like three things that I that I kept thinking. Okay, these are the three most interesting things. One, who could possibly trust anybody else in this story? Yeah, <laughs> I don't trust anybody. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, no. it's, it's a it's a pit of vipers. So none, you can't trust these fuckers. You, you, you can, none of them. None of them are worth worrying about because they're just they're all ready to stab you in the back, the face, the neck, the throat, anywhere at all. Well, it Second, explains why Bert didn't want to go into the jungle. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, right. There's that. And, and the second, you've got the 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 jungle girl aspect of it, which. Like I say, could just be completely extracted, yep. and not, yep. and not even play a part in in the overall plot. And yep, then right. you've got the the mad scientist element. Now those are the three things to me that are most intriguing about this, because the 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 unpredictability of the of the double crosses, my my love of the jungle girl idea 
kind of kind of rules over all of my my intellectual thought capabilities as yep. soon as I as soon as I'm watching one of these films it's suddenly like yep. a whole lot of a whole lot of my uh, critical faculties just get switched into the neutral position for some reason can't imagine why and then, but, but <laughs> I love mad scientist stories and the crazier the mad scientist idea the crazier the mad scientist vision of his eventual ruling of the world or whatever goal he attempts to accomplish yeah. the, the better because mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, there, there's there's no better joy in this world than watching a completely a completely mad scientist roll around in his madness and act like a lunatic it's yeah. it's a blast yeah. and we get a little yeah, yeah we get a little bit of that here too so. well we do and it's like that's that's you've hit on the fun of having a mad scientist or a marquee bad guy like this so you got albert right and it's like all right well you kind of wonder though they don't get into uh what his motivation is because it's yeah. like you you look at like the you know going back to el santo and you know when he comes up against mad mad doctors and stuff very little time is spent on motivations except uh somebody pointed out once if you look at santo and the wax museum they actually explain why that bad guy is the way he is because he was tormented by nazis so he decided he wanted to make everybody suffer the way he did but at least he wasn't just being mad for the sake of being mad you know yeah. sort of like right. that like albert here it's like albert's just uh, out there you know i yeah. mean oh, yeah. he's in a jungle he's, in a, he's, he's, he's power hungry he's power hungry and that's yeah. that's one of my that's one of my favorite motivations for a mad scientist is is power is power hungry right therefore essentially he can find a way to justify almost anything and of course that's the joy of a mad a good mad scientist is right. if if they're out to you know to wreak their vengeance upon the human race well i mean you know that means they're crazy and Right. There, there's nobody that there's nobody in this world who, as soon as they know that, is is can be dumb enough to actually trust them. I mean, because right, right, right. Oh, wait, wait, I'm well, part of humanity. Oh, well, hold, well, hold on a second here. You know. Well, yeah, you think yeah, that begs the question: Why didn't Turk think? Well, wait a minute, I'm a specimen. Why wouldn't Albert turn on me and make me his first slave? <laughs> you know. But it's like here's the thing: Albert, he knows he's got to know. Okay, Albert is nuts, and it's just like he's got this. It's like he's got this plan. Right. You know, there's there's there's, you know, there's there's Turk with a scrubby beard. Right. And he's like, he's got this plan, but it's like Albert's plan lacks reason and logic. Uh, now he's got the money apparently because I don't know how what kind of a money bags theater was, but at least twice they said that he was financing you know, yeah, Albert's yeah. lab, you know, but then again, it's like, all right, well, how did they have native bearers just pack all the equipment out there? And then, and then what did they do? Like the ancient Egyptians where they just buried them in the, buried the slaves in the tube. So they can't tell where the lab is, you know, well, see, where what, the I had, is. what I had was a vision of Theodore being like the Ned Beatty character in Superman. Who's convinced that once the, once Lex Luthor drops a big chunk of California into the Pacific, he's going to get a town for himself it's like what, what are you uh, right. doing what right. is your motivation here what are you getting at do what it, it it's it's the underpants gnome it's we do oh, all no. this crazy shit and then this and then profit wait 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 the middle part 
The middle part. How do you get the middle part accomplished again? I need some details here. It seems a little nebulous. It's unfortunate you mentioned the Ned Beatty character because all of a sudden the, the Ned Beatty character that came to mind for me was the Ned Beatty character in Deliverance. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> and it's just like very, very different outcome there. Yeah, a little, little bit, little bit closer in tone to this film. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Georgia back where Georgia backwoods as opposed to Kenyon, but yeah, you, you, same, you can same, have Malik could be playing a guitar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, you know, with a, with a movie like this, it's just that at least we can revel in the implausibility and just the 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 the, the, the sheer stupidity of it. You know, because yeah. it's like nothing makes any sense. Sense. Why? I, why do I love this movie so much? Why do I get such a kick out of it? My wife's like, yeah, I told her, you know, usually I watch these movies twice uh-huh. when I know I'm going to do one of these things with you guys. Just, but yeah. she's like, well, why do you need to watch this one twice? You've already seen it 18 times. You know, she knows that, and it's just like, oh, okay, that's like, well, you know what? Okay, I could probably get away with just watching it once because I because I know it so well. I mean, before I even went back, I know pretty much all the character names, and yeah, so I did. Yeah. I know what's going to happen, but yeah, you, you know, we all have movies like that. Oh, but yeah. it's like I, it, it's such a joy to be able to talk about it here <laughs> yeah. with with you guys, especially if it's like your first experience with it. I'm thinking, God, I I kind of envy you <laughs> having that first experience with this. Well, I don't, I don't envy us. <laughs> I, I I do because it's like thinking, God, what what have I gotten myself into? I was thinking, man. After these guys watch it, are they going to be thinking, hmm, this may be the first time the Nashi cast guys have bit off more than they can chew? <laughs> oh, well, to a degree we have. But here's here's something I want to point out that that is another thing that kind of lends itself to the odd nature and the kind of weird, you know, Lego piece that is the, the Jungle Girl portion of this film and how it really doesn't, it, the Jungle Girl portion is really not just unnecessary, but just kind of pointless. One of my favorite tropes, one of my favorite narrative bits, little details within any Jungle Girl film is where did she come from? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mystery of the orphan girl who grows up with the apes right. and is accepted and lives here and. You know, you know, has spent her entire life here. We don't learn jack shit about Eva or no the, origin, the, or the sacred monkey or whatever the hell we're gonna call her. Right. She she is a freaking enigma. She's a cipher. Uh, we have no clue what's going on with her. She doesn't speak English. She can communicate with the with the animals. It appears. But at no point does she verbally communicate with any of the human beings in the film. Right. And there seems to be a complete lack of interest in just who in the hell she could possibly be and where she came from and her origin story. Right. Uh, it, nothing like, there's nothing in this film. Now, now wait a minute. That, it, now, wait a minute, Rod. It, it tells you right there in the in the description. She rises with the sun, her mother, and she always <laughs> existed. You know, it's like, you, you, <laughs> you, you know, you could put, you yeah. put that as a tagline on the uh, post for it. Yeah. She rises with the sun. Although I think a better tagline would be the gorillas are getting excited. 
Because <laughs> yeah. I saw a poster and you had this big gorilla and then you yeah. had this semi-naked girl like kind of down below him and it's thought, oh boy, they should they missed an opportunity here. It's it's more it's more a question of it, Bob Sargent is getting excited. That's <laughs> well, you know, these are jungle girl movies, so yeah. It's like I, I do kind of get I do go a little bit overboard with these movies. So but yep, you know, it could have been like say maybe four years later, if they did this in '72, you know, you probably could have injected more. You could have probably have had ex- more explicit nudity. You probably could have. Well, had this is this gore. is '68, so yeah. if although in the Philippines they were doing Philippine style gore, right? Oh no, that's true. That's true. If this if this were a couple of years later, I'm sure Dick Randall would have would have wanted to throw in some graphic violence, you know, you mean like than, in pieces more than, just, more than just the surgery stuff, you know, right. or like in pieces, you have the killer standing in an elevator with a gigantic yellow chainsaw behind his back. Yes. <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest scenes in the history yeah. of all film. Yes. Oh, I yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. I know that blew my mind. <laughs> the, the elevator, that murder, that, and the, uh, what was the other really good one? The waterbed sequence. Oh yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, yes. <laughs> that was good too. <laughs> I love the water. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's, let's not start about. Let's not start talking about pieces because I just <laughs> no, no. We don't want to get. Well, we were talking about Dick Randall though. But God bless him for doing stuff like this. So, but it's like oh, you I know, know, what are the takeaways for the King of Kong Island or Kong Island or Eva the the Savage Venus? You know what. What's what's the biggest takeaway for this? It's, it sounded like you said Eva the Savage Penis. I'm sorry. <laughs> Venus. 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 The, the, sorry. The. Sorry. Now, okay, Troy, now whose Troy, mind is in the gutter? My mind is always in the gutter. Troy, please save us. What are your takeaways? Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing is that I will definitely be watching the film at least one more time because I did find out that uh, Rift Tracks has done has done a version on this. Oh, oh cool! So I, I was like, I've got to watch that. I've got to, I've got to see what certainly, they have, certainly. what they have to say. Uh, but no, I I just you know it's it's you know I I I love jungle movies too, and and this one is is great to you know to see the stuff that you know appear in every jungle movie and granted you know i mean the the native bears who won't enter the forbidden jungle you know the, the oh yeah you know yep. like i said the stock footage you know the uh you're right the the just jungle girl with no no origin you know there that's uh, uh so yeah um but yeah it's just it, it really it really isn't I, I do think it's an entertaining film i would love for them to someday uncover some kind of better print of it you know probably will never yep. happen but i would love to see yeah. a, a, yeah. a little bit i mean i think even in the best print, there's probably some, you know, like things are going to be dark, you know, and going to be too dark, but at least it'll be improved some. Uh, But uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's just another, uh, you know, great throwback films that just things that will never be made again, you know, ideas, story ideas that will never be made again. And, and, and just, you know, just telling a story, just to tell an adventure story, um, you know, with whatever means you have and, and, and throwing in the extra elements there, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's a film that I could, I could definitely watch again for sure. Well, and you know, I think for me, I definitely want to look at some more examples of uh, work by the, the director. Yeah, would you yeah. know, because uh, knowing now watching this and we made the slaughter of the vampires connection and we know, you know, there are a couple of movies, uh, Rod mentioned a couple of them and, I'm a big fan of spaghetti westerns, so you know I might have to just take a look at some of those Holy Ghost movies too. Oh, you know, there's one other thing um, that, for me anyway, is uh, a takeaway for me, or I guess something I enjoy about this movie is the music. 
Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. You, you have a lot of Robertos in this movie. You had Roberto Mori, who's the director, but you also have Roberto Pregadio, who, who he provided the music, right? And yeah. it's and it's funny because there's a sequence when they're in Theodore's bar. And it, did you catch when uh, Bert, Brad Harris, is trying to dance with Diana? Yeah. Okay. And everybody's dancing at the club. And and so when the, the bit of music that they play there, I guess the Italians call it the shake, which is sort of like when you get a sh when you get the shake as part of the soundtrack, it's a piece of music that is usually something that it's, it's a little different from everything else you hear on the soundtrack. And it's usually played in a club or played you hear it on the radio in the background or something like that. But did you watch how Brad Harris was dancing with the hand claps? And yeah, the head yes. bobs, and it's yeah. sort of like nobody else in the room is doing that. And, and no. he, my wife picked up on that too. And it's just sort of like, what music is he dancing to? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I years ago, I made a, a comment. I, I think the first person I said it to was David Zazello. You guys right. know it. And I said, Brad Harris, he dances like the whitest white man on the planet. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like David pointed, yeah, with the hand claps. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's hysterical. And just one more little thing that I enjoy about the movie is mm -hmm. just, you know, it's it's so it's so shining and great in its badness. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a good way to put it. I think uh, as far as my takeaways are concerned, is my major concern with it is trying to decide if it if it really does fit into the Jungle Girl genre well enough or not. I mean, it it, it does and it doesn't. the The more I thought about the fact that there's no there's no even curiosity about the jungle girl by the, you know, by the characters in the film. Mm -hmm. I mean, one could argue that maybe they're just a little too damn busy to worry about where this mysterious woman <laughs> came from, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. to not have anybody go, damn, where, where could she have come from? Who could she be? This is really strange. Um, the, the, for me, this is, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a bizarre thing. If I had known there was a jungle girl in this movie years ago, I would have probably watched it sooner than now, mm -hmm. but I feel I would have been much more disappointed if I'd watched this say 15 or 20 years ago, because I would have been, then I would have been expecting a jungle girl movie. So being surprised by having a jungle girl in the story, mm -hmm. even though she's ineffectual, accomplishes nothing and really serves no purpose. Well, you know, I can just take it as it is and go. Well, there's there's there are other things here to be to to hold my interest, and that's fine. Or but, does she serve a purpose? Because you just hit on how the other characters they didn't seem to have any interest in her, or you know, okay, here's yeah. this jungle girl, right? It's like my thought was, okay, well, they're all too busy trying to figure out how they're going to backstab each other. But yeah. it's like the jungle girl was she not maybe the only pure innocent character in the yeah. whole movie yeah that i could yeah i think you could make that well she's the only one who either she well she she doesn't double cross anybody mm -hmm. but and she did try to help she she you know she did try to help bert that's a good point i think you make a good con i think you make a good point that she does kind of make offer a nice contrast against all the sleazy you know cynical uh bitter characters that are surrounding in the rest of the film you know there yeah i, mean, I guess that uh, you know that I guess really Diana is the only other character that might come close to seeming to be 
you know, give, you know, if the movie lasts another five minutes, she would have betrayed somebody, though. Let's be honest. You know? <laughs> well, and, and and she did she did want to shoot a mother leopard after seeing the baby. So oh, that's true. She, she, she was kind of bloodthirsty. She was bloodthirsty. Yeah, she had a hard streak in her too. So really, you know, I guess you could say that that Eva is the is the innocent kind of yeah. They're the 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 only. You're right. And then she's kind of the pure good part of the film there. So. Yeah. So there you there you go, Rod. We gave you a little bit of a a little bit of a justification for having her in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe okay. kind of, sort of. Maybe so. But maybe she was so, so marginal. But you know, it, yeah. it, it took. Yeah, but no, you know, no. it 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 took what like an hour and a half of us pontificating about this to figure that out. <laughs> <Yeah. It's> like, <laughs> but it's like, but it it's but it was true. fun with all the twists and the uh, the double crosses though. But yeah, just just like Troy said, it's like man, there you saw so many different shades of of treachery and mm. and and just people who are just probably rotten to the core. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> people who were definitely rotten in the core and, and see that that and like i say i described them as a pit of vipers and that that in and of itself is entertaining enough to a certain degree you know uh, the the jungle girl stuff doesn't need to be there for me to enjoy watching all of this batshit crazy stuff oh, you, go could, down. you could call it jungle girl in the pit of vipers yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. oh that's good yeah 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 Jungle girl and or viper or jungle girl in the pit of human vipers. Oh yeah, Mm, boy, we're onto something here. Jungle girl and human 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 vipers. Wait a minute, wasn't there a movie called Human Cobras? I think that was Yalo, but yeah, I think yeah, I think Erica Blanc maybe was in. I forget. Oh man, I I saw that one so long ago. But yeah, it's like. Eva, yeah, it, it's it's like maybe she was maybe she we could make a slight argument for her being more of a central character than than we thought, or at least maybe uh, if the movie had a conscience at all, <laughs> maybe she would be it <laughs> if she could talk. <laughs> you know, she could say, "Well, you know, maybe Bert, you should let go of all this anger that you have pent up inside you against uh, Turk." You know, or it's like you know. Diana, you know, you're coming into my jungle. You say you you really don't have to be running around the jungle murdering animals, okay? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, she could, but it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, she could give them all a good talking to. But you know, Bert someday said, "You don't talk, do you?" It's like, and she just smiles at him. Oh, I know. Yeah, there are, all of her dialogue is essentially, you know, smiling and running. Yeah. Now she she said Luma, and what did she call the the monkey? Had a name too, Honey, Honey, Honey. Oh, She's like, know. Honey. She kept calling the the chimp, you know. Yeah, and of course you see the chimp before you see her because it's like they pan up and say, "Look, it's a sacred monkey!" Ha ha ha! And there's the chimp, and and then they go over to her in a tree and go, "No, there's the sacred monkey. There's your sacred <laughs> monkey, right? I got your sacred monkey right here." <laughs> well, apparently Esmeralda oh, uh, Esmeralda Barros uh, uh, had another interesting credit as she's in Joe D'Amato's Devil's Wedding Night. Uh, oh yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Yep. 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 And, and with Rosalba Neri and Mark Damon, yeah. and yeah, that's 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 an immensely entertaining movie. I'm sure you you guys haven't you guys covered that one yet? Devil's we, Wedding Night? No, we have not. No, no. no we have not. No, mm. it's all it's all, it's on the list to cover, but we just haven't yeah. done it. Yet. No. Oh, well, you know, if, keep me in mind if you ever need any help. Oh, go down with that one. Oh yeah, yeah Devil's we'll Wedding. I, I'm surprised. I won't say I'm shocked, but because you can't watch and you can't get to everything, but. But yeah, that would make a great podcast for you guys. Oh man! Look, we've only covered a few hundred films. We can't cover I, I everything. Know. 
<laughs> well, and you consider just if you take just the spaghetti westerns alone, there's probably like what five hundred oh, of them made between oh, like man. the early yeah. in twenty years, maybe. And it's like, uh, yeah, if you dedicated a well, podcast that, to spaghetti that, westerns, uh, you'd never get through them all. Well, there there have been several podcasts of note that have covered spaghetti westerns, um, but luckily a lot of them have kind of run their course, and so there's a there's a part of me that wonders if it might not be time to to kind of dip back deeper into the spaghetti western pool and and start talking about some of the more obscure ones i mean what's great is that more and more of them are coming out oh yeah now and even 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 fairly obscure ones and uh that to me is uh that to me signals it's time to start talking about those really obscure ones and and kind of bringing more attention to them because you know even though they're out on blu-ray now that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everybody's aware of them and they're oh, and, yeah. and know, you know whether or not they're worth talk, you know whether or not they're worth actually uh Try you know trying out giving a giving well, a look. Some of them so, really are. I, I watched a wacky one the other day that I had never made the time to watch. It was a Corbucci western, and get this: the cast was uh, Johnny Garco. It had uh, Tomas Millian and Eli Wallach. It was the white, the yellow, and the black. Have you guys seen that one yet? Oh no, it's wacky, it. and it's like, and, and you're like, blink, blink. Wait a minute, is that Millian? playing this this kind of cowardly Japanese guy. It's like, yes, yes, it's him. And, and of course, he's just as crazed as, as ever. But, you know, he, he I just seen him. It, it came off of, uh, man, what was another one he did? This movie, uh, all I can think of was it's called The Passatory. I watched a whole mess of them. But he was like uh, he was like this effete bounty hunter, you know, who had he basically would trick people, <laughs> you know, to get trick trick villains uh, so he could get the bounty. But you know, it was just he was just having a blast playing these comical roles. But um, he it was really over the top playing this Asian character though. But yeah, if you get a chance, it was, I want to make sure I got the title right. It's I'm pretty sure it's the white, the yellow, and the black. But um beautifully photographed. And uh you got the uh the the Angelus brothers did the soundtrack, which I love those guys. And uh yeah, it, it was a joy to watch. And there's there's a nice print floating around out there somewhere. You can probably pull it up on YouTube. I think it's dubbed in English too. Cool, cool. I just looked up the white, the yellow and the black and it's uh it's a uh, it's rentable on Prime. There you go. So that's that's good. Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep. That's that's a good. I I recommend it. I I got a kick out of that one. I, I really did. It's like it, it it's just and I'm a big Eli Wallach fan anyway. I read his autobiography, but this is one that I'd never seen him in. Yeah. But there's there's some really yeah. clever stuff going on in this and some and some clever clever comedy, some really great visual comedy that, that if you're a fan of that kind of stuff, you'll get a kick out of it. Cool. Yeah, I definitely want to see that. Well, I enjoyed. I really enjoyed talking about the King of Kong Island with you guys. <laughs> that was yeah. a lot of fun. We 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 got into some detail here, but you know, now I have a better understanding of this. Not that I wanted a better understanding of this movie, but but better better than. Yeah, better than ever before. Well, I loved how Troy rattled off all the betrayals. It's like, oh, wow, yeah. that scorecard's yeah. better than mine. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like it's like an Ouroboros of, of betrayals. It's insane. One snake sw- swallowing its own tail only to be able to try to swallow another snake's tail. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> well Bob, yeah. once again, thank you for coming on to the, My to the show and talking I to us. I enjoyed it. Uh, this is... This is a, a bizarre little piece of Italian, whatever it is. And, uh, I, I will, I will be, I completely honest when I say to you, 
that without your insistence, we would never have covered. <laughs> <I know. laughs> you, you mean my bludgeoning? <laughs> <laughs> you're, let, let's just let's be nicer about it and think of it in these terms. Your enthusiasm. Oh, there you go. Well, I do have a lot of enthusiasm for a lot of things, but I will say I definitely have a a great appetite for like, especially. 60s and 70s uh, Italian Spanish co-productions. Any yeah. of this kind of stuff is just like, uh, uh, and man, you know, something like this, a uh, King Kong Island. It's it's like I'm I'm not sh- I'm not surprised that I I discovered it so long ago. Actually, the first time I ever saw it was uh, on television in the early 80s. I was in a an apartment in sure. Richmond. And uh, it, man, it was probably like around 81 or 82. And I was like just uh, sweating my doodads off in an apartment that didn't have any air conditioning. I had this big fan blasting and I was I was there doing some schoolwork. And I tuned this in on like this little TV that I had. It was like back when they used to have those UHF channels, you know, that would sign yeah. off yeah. in the oh, middle yeah. of the night, you know. And it's like this thing came up and it was the King of Kong Island with Brad Harris. I was like, what in the hell is this? You know, and I was probably Jesus. I, I mean, it's probably like 19 years old or something. The first time yeah. I saw this thing, so that was my that was my first experience. The the way it should have been done on late night TV on yeah, a little right. on a little television yeah. set. But it's like God bless whoever the programming director was who decided to run that thing because because I, I was obsessed with seeing that movie again for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I just because I was like it was one of those things you wake up. And it's like, okay, I know I'm not sleeping really well because it's 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 Richmond and it's it's it feels like it's a hundred degrees and you're, yeah. you're you're flipping your pillow over trying to find the cool spot and you can't sleep and you wake up in a daze and you're like, did I watch that or did I just dream it? <laughs> you, you know, so it's like it just yeah, kind of yeah, hit me I've, at the right I've time. Been there. Yeah. Honestly, that's kind of one of the ways that I first ran across uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell was not sure if I had seen what I thought I had seen. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's... Well, once again, it, Bob, I just, I, just wanted to say, I just wanted to say thank you. If you have any more ideas like this, keep them to yourself. <laughs> we'll do, right? Now. Well, I think he's already. I think he's already got us pointed towards the devil's wedding night. <laughs> devil's uh, wedding night. Oh, that would man. Be, that would that, that would be uh, that'd be a fun one to do. I haven't rewatched that one in a number of years. We would have a blast with that. You know, I might have to get that Mark Damon autobiography and read that. Or that was it was either. I think it was an autobiography. Somebody pointed me in that direction. I didn't oh, cool. know. I didn't know he even had one. Yeah, but it, it was like something from like man to mogul to monster. And I was like, oh, what a title. <laughs> I got I, I to gotta read that. So uh, I wonder if he says anything about the devil's wedding night. But but um, but yeah, crossed. but I enjoyed it. Always a blast. Always fun getting yeah. together with you guys. Yeah, you're, you're my favorite podcasters out of Nashville. Probably, <laughs> probably my favorite, probably my favorite podcasters, period. But, uh, you know, any anytime you want me back, just let me know. All right, man. Thank you a lot. I am uh, Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And that over there, that's Bob Sargent, folks. The legend. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye it bye now. See ya.